I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my interview today is with Drew Hayden Taylor. We talk about his new book, Take Us to Your Chief and Other Stories. It's kind of a, uh, a blending of, of classic science fiction stories with a very uh, contemporary uh, First Nations worldview or outlook or approach. We, um, we, we talk about Aboriginal consciousness. We talk about comedy and about storytelling. And we talk about this concept of contact and, and uh, this whole idea of, of um, you know, being an alien and being sort of introduced to aliens we we talk about being self-educated and, and how one of the best ways to learn is is you know through reading traveling and meeting and talking with other people drew is a playwright he's a comedian he's a writer he's 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 done documentary film and uh there's a lot going on in this conversation i think you're going to enjoy it a great deal so do stay tuned davidpecklive.com for more information about my uh, public speaking, my writing, and for uh, close to 250 interviews now. We still even have a few TIFF interviews coming your way. And also rabble.ca for more uh, interviews there and other articles as well. So do check us out online and stay tuned. Drew Hayden Taylor uh, talking about a whole lot of things, including his new book, Take Us to Your Chief. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by, uh, once again, another very special guest. Drew Hayden Taylor is here with us today uh, from Toronto, but not really from Toronto. I think he's in Toronto. He's uh, on a phone somewhere mysteriously calling in to this, uh, this interview on Face to Face. Drew, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely my pleasure, sir. So what, what are we talking about today, Drew? I think, I think you've got a new book on the shelves. It's called Take Us to Your Chief. Uh, and other stories, um, with a really interesting uh, cover um, and um, classic sci-fi stories with a contemporary First Nations outlook. So, so tell me, tell me about the mix. Tell me about, tell me about you first, Drew. Uh, tell me a little bit about what 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 preceded "Take Us to Your Chief." Well, I'm from a small reserve in Central Ontario, a place called Curve Lake, where I was born and raised. 
And I grew up watching science fiction on television, and then from there I started reading a lot of science fiction. I became enamored with it, and um, as a writer, a uh, contemporary storyteller, I couldn't help but notice that there were not that many aboriginal taglines or faces or fingertips on keyboards in the the uh, science fiction genre, and I always wondered why. I'm a big fan of, of, of exploring different aspects of expressing the aboriginal uh, consciousness or universe. Right. So, um, this has always bugged me, and then uh, for several years now, I've tried to get together an anthology of uh, Native science fiction short stories. I contacted a whole bunch of my Native friends, writers, um, like Richard Van Camp, uh, Ian Robinson, Lee Miracle, uh, people like that, to see if they'd be interested in contributing a short story. Everybody was really interested to do it, but I couldn't find a publisher that was willing hmm. to take a chance on such an um, endeavor because I've always, it seemed to me, the term Aboriginal science fiction, uh, many people thought of it as an oxymoron in right. terms. And it just got to the point about a year and a half ago where I just said to myself, ah, screw it, I'll do it myself. And I sat down. And over a two-month period, I wrote six of the stories, and then over a six-month period, I wrote another four stories until I had a nice, uh, nice package together, and then I sent it off to one of my publishers, and they read it, they liked it, and they said, let's rock and roll with it. So, so First Nations, would you say, uh, a first, is, it, is it fair to kind of describe it as a First Nations take on the science fi fiction genre? Well, what, I, what I've done is I've taken science fiction themes and, and mm. common stories and filtered them through an Aboriginal consciousness where they come out and they have, um, I think they, they um, appeal and have elements of both, um, I guess you could even say genres involved in them. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, they're both Native and science fiction, and both science fiction and Native. What, um, so Drew, what, what exactly is an Aboriginal consciousness? The environment we grew up in, it's, it's, it's um, the indigenous world that, that we're born into, that we've participated in, that is part of who we are and how we um, live our lives. In terms of my writing, some of the interesting themes that popped up that were important in the science fiction genre were the same themes that were important in our uh, existence as indigenous people. Um, one of the dominant themes I... I I explored twice was the concept of contact, hmm. um, uh, you know, when aliens land, because yes. uh, contact when aliens land is something Native people are very familiar with and are still dealing with to this day. So that became an interesting sort of metaphor or uh, a, a storyline to explore. So other stuff like in dealing with environmentalism, what defines being Native? One of my short stories takes place with an astronaut in space who's beginning to wonder how <clears throat> he can be native or how it is to be native in space when you look at some of the traditional practices of indigenous people, like honoring the four directions. You're in a place that has no, does not have four directions. You can't burn sage or sweetgrass in a, in, a, in a spaceship because of oxygen stuff. There's all sorts of limitations on what you would consider average everyday 
Aboriginal practices. So I sort of explore that and, 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 you know, time travel and all these different things, but how they affect or how they are influenced by contemporary Aboriginal life. And so just before we talk about the comedic lens, can I, can I read something? For, for my listeners, well, this, right is, ahead. This, is, <laughs> this is right from Take Us to Your Chief. Uh, and speaking, I love this, this concept of, of contact. I think it's not only, I, I think it's not only really interesting from you know, an academic uh, perspective and so on, but as you say, issues that First Nations folk are still dealing with uh, you know, to this day and for very good reason. But I'd love to unpack that a little bit with you. Quote, greetings, people of Earth. It had spoken to them. Chimo looked at Teddy, unsure whether the voice was referring to them, for he was fairly sure they were people from Earth. But he didn't want to jump to conclusions. White people were always changing the names of things, countries, people, and a bunch of other things. He wouldn't put it past them to change the name of the planet. He had seen on the news some time ago that Pluto was no longer considered a planet. It had been downgraded to the celestial equivalent of a non-status planet. Close quote. That's a, a, an excerpt from a story, uh, Take Us to Your Chief, from the book Take Us to Your Chief by Drew Hayden Taylor. So, Drew, out of context, a little hard to, to see the comedy maybe for the listeners, but, but I think really appropriate based on what you just mentioned, because this is essentially uh, aliens landing, group of guys sitting around drinking beer, chatting, living life, and, 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 and we've got this first contact. Yeah, that's basically that story. There are two contact stories in it, in it. One that sort of ends positively, and one that ends not so positively. But uh, the the one you just read was actually the first story I wrote that I thought I could have fun with and uh, and and just um, write it and laugh. But it's exactly write it and laugh. So now now we go to the comedic lens. So your little crack against the white folk, uh, little comedy about you know I think there's a comedy there about drinking uh, a note or two there about drinking beer and about the the camaraderie of these three friends who apparently don't really do much of anything. Um, so I've got lots of questions around this this kind of storytelling. But tell me about I don't know. I mean you're talking about some pretty serious issues here, and yet in a very lighthearted way. Well, why can't I? Well, <laughs> that's like a question. Tragedy, both sides of the mask. If you yeah. go back to your your Greek uh, drama, yeah. Um, uh, you know, and like look at look at the uh, the the superhero one. Super disappointed. This guy has superpowers, and why does he have superpowers? Because his home is riddled with radon gas. The water is riddled with runoff from agricultural um, farms. So he's He's got um, um, sort of steroids and um, antibiotics uh, in his water, and he's got bla- uh, black mold in his house. And so all these sort of things that are problems in, in everyday Native communities have contributed to making him a superhero. So sometimes you look at some of these situations, and you can get angry, and, and you can laugh. You can do both mm. at the same time. And uh, so when I was approaching some of these stories, I couldn't help thinking, this is so tragic, it's almost funny. And so I thought, oh, well, let's, let's go with the funny thing because um, that makes a lot of the issues I explore a lot more palatable. So, Drew, I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say that you're a storyteller. You're not, you're not just a writer. You've, you've done film, doc film. Um, is it Redskins, Tricksters, and Puppy Stew? Is that, that's the documentary, is it not? That's correct, on Native Humor. Yeah, and you've got, you know, jur- journalism in your background. I mean, you're, you're, you know, stand-up comedy, you're a public speaker, et cetera. Tell me about um, 
the power of storytelling uh, for change. So here we are talking about some pretty serious, I would say global issues, frankly, but really contextually um, important to us as Canadians. And, you know, First Nations, uh, Métis, Inuit folk, and, and contact, and aliens, and all these things. Um, why, like, how come you're not an academic? How come you're not a politician? Well, you know, actually, you're, a, you're a comedian. You're a storyteller. What, tell tell me about that. I at university. Sorry, say that again? I said, um, I, uh, in order to be an academic, I think you have to have been to university. Not <laughs> right. I think, I think so, yeah. Passes. Sorry, say that again. I, I, for some reason, you were cutting out there. Um, I said, uh, well, in, in order to be an academic, you have to, I believe, have gone to university and have a number of letters behind your name. I have not been to university. I'm a member of the uneducated masses. Ah, uh, yes, of course. And so, um, I, you know, but I have, I, I, I like to think of myself, and I think this is an overused term, uh, I'm self-educated uh, by that, I mean I have read an extensive lot. I'm, a, I, I'm an avid reader. You know, they, there's that old saying, um, if you want to be a good writer, you have to be a good reader. And if you want to be a great writer, you have to be a great reader. And I think everything I've learned as, and I describe myself this way, as a contemporary storyteller comes from reading, comes from traveling as much as I can. I've been to 19 countries around the world. I've been to about 140 native communities in Canada and the United States. Wow. Um, it's from meeting and talking with people. Yeah, so, yeah. And down and putting this book together, putting anything that I'm working on at the time, you know, I, I think I'd like to think I'm well-rounded and I sort of know what's going on and uh, I can sort of access different types of information and different experiences I've had and different books I've read and put it together and, and carve it into something new that hopefully has never been experienced before. And, and, and is this a way to change the narrative by telling stories, by telling new stories? Um, it helps. Um, when I was talking with, uh, one time I was having a conversation with a traditional storyteller from up near Manitoulin Island, and she said that in her opinion, we need new stories as much as we need the old stories. The old stories are very, very important, but... Um, you know, times change, and we have to go with that change because if cultures and people don't evolve with the times, they tend to stagnate. And if you know anything about your basic evolution, any any people, place, or thing that stagnates and does not develop tends to die out. So um, we need our new stories for all the different medium, whether it's um, you know film. And, and in today, you've got um, you've got people, uh, native people. Um, exploring hip-hop and all these other different ways of expression. And I think that shows a healthy, vibrant culture. Are you, I mean, it sounds to me like, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're a pretty positive, you, you got a pretty positive approach to, to, to sort of what's going on currently in Canada and, and, and maybe, maybe even the world globally, a world traveler. I, I love the fact that you say you've learned by traveling, reading, and, and meeting other people. I don't, I don't, you don't need to go to university, you know? I mean, you really don't. You don't need the letters behind your name if, if that's what you're committed to, it seems to me. But um, I guess, yeah, are you hopeful? It, it sure sounds like it about, about, about what's next, about the future for Canada, about the future for Indigenous uh, people around the world. I think so. I mean, one of the reasons I did this was, if you look at a, lot, a good chunk of contemporary Native literature, it can be broken down into usually three classifications. Victim narrative, 
historical um, uh, stories or um, the effects of what I refer to as post-contact stress disorder. Yeah, you talk about you talk about um, oh, for the love, negative social issues, right? Uh, yeah, a, a lot of our writers have uh, yeah. uh, are preoccupied with that. Talk sure. About, uh, uh, there's a line in um, an essay by Thompson Highway in the beginning of his play, The Rest Sisters, where he said, before the healing can take place, the poison must be exposed. And I think that's what was happening. But I remember in a conversation with an elder I had on the Blood Reserve in Alberta who told me, in his opinion, humor is the WD-40 of healing. <laughs> nice. And that's that's awesome. So in my writing, I prefer to be much more positive um, I understand the need for a lot of the stuff that explores the dysfunctional aspect of the Native community, but I'm also very, very um, forward and positive about the need to talk about the more, the more, uh, the more positive aspects of our community, for sure. So is, 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 this, is that what this is going to do? I mean, from your perspective, obviously it's you know, adding to the literature, changing the conversation, uh, providing you know, the WD-40 of healing. I love that. Um, is, it, is it about that? Drew, you know, from you've been in so many different uh, uh, different communities across Canada and different countries. I mean, do we need to to spend more time together? <laughs> Does that make sense? Do we need to be talking about this more? You know, over dinner and and at the local uh, pub and so on. I mean, it doesn't hurt. Um, spending time together is how we share, how we communicate. That is the origin of storytelling. I mean, you can have a storyteller. But unless that storyteller has an audience, has people who want to hear what that person has to say, effectiveness as a storyteller is greatly limited. Sure. So the more we get together, the more we share stories, concepts, adventures, and um, and uh, things of interest, I think it makes us stronger, more interesting people. So, so you grew up reading science fiction. Favorite, favorite science. I mean, Ray Bradbury. I've got a couple favorite stories for sure. Uh, I'm looking in my office right here, right now, looking at a Blade Runner poster. Uh, one of my favorite films of all time. Well, when I, when I was when I was growing up and I started reading, uh, you know, I first of all, I act. I must say, it almost seems like I went chronologically because my one of my first favorite writers was H.G. Wells. Oh, okay, yeah. Right, the the time machine. Sure. Man, all that stuff. I just loved that stuff. Um, and little, and I was un, really actually unaware. It wasn't until I became older that I understood that a lot of science fiction is essentially metaphoric. Mm. Um, Time Machine is an exploration of um, of um, social status in English in the English world um, because you had the two, the Eloy and the Morlocks, and the Eloy were the um, elite. And the Morlocks were the people who worked in the coal mines and the mechanics and underground, and it was a an exploration of um, of, of, of status in English society. Uh, Frankenstein was an was an exploration written by a 19 year old girl. Uh, was an exploration of what would happen if women, uh, men, men uh, somehow had the ability to create life, and women were left out of the equation. So look, look what happens when men can create life, right? So I had to, I, I read those early stories, not really understanding the metaphor involved, and then from there, you know, I went into. Um, I was a big John Wyndham fan, the chrysalids, mm. the chrysalids. Wow, day of the triffids. Holy smokes! 
Exactly, exactly. It sort of, sort of went on and on and on. And um, I think it was John Campbell, um, where, uh, who goes there, and all these other stuff. And then gradually, you know, I, I began to move more towards the, the more influential stuff, uh, contemporary stuff in the 60s and 70s that had an influence. You know, I, yeah, I read my Ray Bradbury, read my Asimov, my uh, my Heinlein, etc. And um, little little Philip K. Dick in there. Yeah, a little Philip K. Dick in there. I read my Android's Dream of Electric Sheep and uh, Scanner Darkly, etc. Yeah, no, it's cool. You know, your website, I, I, I love your website. I'm just uh, looking at it here. By the way, folks, it's DrewHaydenTaylor.com. Uh, for more information about about Drew's work and his writing and his uh, all the things that he's into, and and the book is "Take Us to Your Chief," uh, published by Douglas and McIntyre. Drew, you say that you know, or somebody has written about you that you you've been spreading the gospel of native native literature to the world. Is there is there is there a truth there? Is there is there is there something that 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 us white folk, um, us Westerners, us, uh, uh, you know, those on the outside, if you will, uh, are missing out on because we're not, you know, a little more steeped in Native literature because we don't have a better understanding of our First Nations, Métis, and Inuit folk? Um, I, I, think, I think there is a growing understanding and a growing awareness. I mean, it's much better now than when I began 30 years ago, 30 years ago, there, were set, there was only a handful of Native writers, and very few were getting the national exposure. Sure. As, um, you know, you have you look at your, your list of, of best Canadian authors in general, and you'll find Tom King and Joseph Boyden on that list. So I think people are beginning to understand and um, open up and enjoy mm. Indigenous storytelling method in um and are learning from it and learning to really appreciate it. So if you were if you were standing in front of, and I'm sure you've had this opportunity many times, but you're in front of a primary, my wife is a, a, a teacher librarian, primary school, um, you know, I don't know, let's say you're there to read a story from your new book and you're going to answer questions. What what are the kids going to be focusing on? What are you going to be focusing on as you say to them, guys, this is about telling stories, you know, and here, and, and there are good reasons to be hopeful and things are changing. I mean, it sounds to me like that's sort of your message, but what are you, what are you telling to the younger generations? I've got a nine and 11 year old. They're growing up in a world where, you know, they have an understanding about, about our history that I didn't, you know, and that, that my parents certainly didn't. Um, so I guess I'm, what I'm trying to get to is, um, you know, just that kind of that what's next? What, what, how do we continue to shift the conversation? Well, I think, um, as, as you heard me say, that, that, that the, the perception of, of Native literature was, was growing kind of limited, just that sure. of, of dysfunction. And now that we're sort of beginning, beginning to, if you'll pardon the, the, the bad metaphor, we're beginning to get off the reservation and explore all the different methods of storytelling available to us. Right. I mean, you look at Native people, are, our interests, our, um, our abilities, our um, views of the world are as varied and as wide as any culture that exists today. Sure. Culture. So um, one of the things I've always worked towards was sort of finding new ways of expressing the Aboriginal perspective. And um, what's happening these days is there's been um, an explosion of interest in putting the Aboriginal 
fingerprints on genre fiction. Mm. My very first novel was a native vampire novel <laughs> called The Night Wanderer. My second novel was um, Magic Realism, Motorcycles and Sweetgrass. In my theater career, I have written um, full-scale uh, farcical comedies. I have adapted and indigenized a 1930s Bertolt Brecht Kurt Vile musical. Um, a friend of mine, a woman named Katarika Winsy Dam, has put together a collection of international indigenous erotica, sort of like a hmm. uh, uh, Fifty Shades of Red. <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. Um, that's awesome. Mine, um, uh, Daniel Heath Justice has, did a, has written a trilogy of stories with elves and Lord of the Rings type uh, elements in it, um, sword, sorcery, that type of thing. Um, as it has been influenced heavily by his own Cherokee upbringing. And again, going back to Tom King, when Tom King is not busy writing award-winning fiction and nonfiction, his favorite hobby is writing murder mysteries. He's written two so far, hmm. and he's working on another two. So I think the next, the next mountain to climb, the next uh, horizon is going to be looking at all the different ways Native people are conquering genre fiction. It's cool. It's amazing. I'm looking forward to seeing your play in a world created by a drunken god, by the way. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> who, who stars in that? That's what I want to know. Um, in a world created by a drunken god, um, that was, uh, well, it's a what-if story. Right. You know, I say I don't do I don't do autobiographical pieces, but what I often do is I take pieces out of uh, my own personal life and blow it completely out of proportion. And that is a good example of that. That's one that I, I was wondering because I'm half native and half white, but I have no connection to my white half. It's a play about wondering a little bit about um, the path not taken. What right. my white side would be. Um, uh, Lake floors uh, a white perception of, um, of of life, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a marvelous title, and and certainly opens the door for me to ask a few other questions. That's for sure. You know, uh, can we do a part two, Drew? Can we can we set up another time to to, to finish this conversation? It's a, clearly a conversation that's ongoing uh, that you have uh, with many other people, and and now uh, thank, thanks to you, we've we've started as well. Uh, and and I hope uh, a conversation that others are going to start uh, picking up on. Uh, check out uh, Drew's work, DrewHaydenTaylor.com. Uh, that's H-A-Y-D-E-N, Taylor.com. And the book is Take Us to Your Chief and Other Stories, published by Douglas and McIntyre. Drew, what a pleasure chatting, man. I mean, I, let's, let's, uh, let's do a part two down the road and go a little deeper. I'll be sitting by the phone. <laughs> I bet you will. I bet you will. What's, what's next, Drew? Are you on a little bit of a book tour? Or? A little bit of a book tour, but right now uh, I've been commissioned by the National Arts Center in Ottawa um, uh, next year, as you know, is Confederation, and they've asked me to write a play um, about John A. MacDonald from the Aboriginal perspective. Wow. Well, I think um, a drunken god should be a character in that. That's my, that's, that's my two cents. I'm working on it. <laughs> Drew, thanks a lot for your time today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely no problem. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.